Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. If our connection is working, I think I've got Stephen Hayes on the other line. He's already been shipped off to a re-education camp by Team Trump. He's waiting to be processed. So uh, do they hose you down first, Steve, or do they do that lie thing to get the fleas off of I'm you? number 385. We have nice uh, beige uniforms. Um, no, I'm good. To Trump, Trump's America. Trump's America. Two days later, the sun came up. This is our second uh, podcast since America was made great again, and I'm happy to be joined with you. So, people have been asking me, so what's it like for you, never Trumpers? And I've just, I've been telling them that I just, uh, you know, sleep with the light on. I have a bag, a go bag, and I'm ready to go. You are one of the two or three most famous never Trumpers in America, Steve Hayes. What's it like since the election was called? Well, look, I mean. On, on the one hand, um, the, the bright sides are really bright, right? The bright sides to a potential Trump presidency mm-hmm. are bright. I mean, they're, they're, they're great. The, the idea now that Donald Trump could nominate conservatives to the Supreme Court, I don't think that's a guarantee, as we were told before mm-hmm. the election. I'm optimistic. I hope he'll stick to his lists, or if he adds people to those lists, he adds people who are constitutional conservatives. Um, the possibility that Donald Trump would, with with one of his first two or three policy plunges, take on Obamacare, I'm totally for that. Again, now, he said on the debate stage that he was in favor of single payer or defended it philosophically, so maybe he doesn't make that commitment. But the possibility that he would do that in concert with a Republican Congress is, I mean, is a huge positive. And you can go on. You can point to the elimination of Barack Obama's executive orders. You can talk about um, de-energizing the bureaucracy. I mean, President Obama reinvigorated the administrative state. Can Donald Trump roll that back? I think there are real possibilities. Having said all of that, you have concerns. I mean, Donald Trump today is the same Donald Trump he was the day before the election. He's the same Donald Trump the day he was when, you know, we we saw the Billy Bush tapes. He's the same Donald Trump he was the day that he made those bigoted comments about the judge. I mean, he's that guy. So you go in, I think, with concerns and with some level of optimism. Uh, are you like me? Are you surprised at how relatively not bad you feel now that it's over? Because I've been yeah. taken aback. And I, for me, I'll tell you what it was. In fact, if you missed our previous podcast with Mark Hemingway, you really need to listen to it. Just the, the, the unadulterated truckload of schadenfreude just dumping right on the mic. Every every time I just hear the phrase, and Hillary Clinton was beaten by Donald Trump. Because it's it's been so much fun to watch Team Clinton and Team Obama get crushed. So that's helped me a lot. And then the second part is, I truly am stunned how well the Republicans did at the legislative uh, level. They're they're not going to lose 10 seats in the House. And they're going to hold on to the Senate, 51-52 and I, I, if you told me that a week before the election, I would have said no way. Yeah. So I've, there's, there really is an upside here that I, as a never Trumper, am more than happy to admit and embrace. No, you have, you have to. I mean, you, look, the, the whole thing that we did, or at least I tried to do during the the, the campaign, was just say what I saw. You know, mm-hmm. I wasn't positioning, I wasn't thinking about it. I just said what I saw and I told people what I believed. That's what I'm doing today. That's it, why you're, you're in so much trouble. You're exactly right, and you're exactly right about this. I mean, the the you know beyond the sort of emotional emotional gratification of of seeing the left freak out and seeing Hillary Clinton you know I, I thought I, first of all let me say I thought she gave a very good speech I, I did think mm-hmm. it was gracious having said that we we've, we've waited for accountability for the Clintons 
for 30 years, and particularly over the past several years. I mean, so many of the things that she's done, it looked like she was going to get away with it. And certainly legally, we thought she was going to get away with it. What we saw on November 8th was accountability. And, you know, it was the kind of accountability that only voters can deliver. And there, there's, I mean, again, beyond the schadenfreude and sort of the feel-good aspects of that, I think it's actually important. I think politicians should look at this and say, okay, she didn't get away with everything that we thought she was going to get away and, with. And that's all I wanted to ask you. So you think, you agree with me, she didn't get away with it, that this is the the verdict, no matter how- it's totally the whatever, verdict. Whether the FBI ever presses a case or not, yeah. whether we ever find those emails or not, the verdict has been laid down, you lose. Yeah. I mean, and, and you know, this is the way that the framers envisioned politicians right. having having verdicts delivered. I mean, this this is what accountability means. And she was a terrible candidate. There were all sorts of reasons that she lost, most especially the, the total collapse of the Obama coalition. I mean, they made a bet that they were going to run as Barack right. Obama's third term. They did it through the primaries. This was her case to voters for the past six months, five mm-hmm. months. As we were in the general election, they assumed Donald Trump would lose. I assumed Donald Trump would lose, but they also assumed that the Obama coalition would hold, mostly as it had had for 2008 and 2012, right. and it didn't. No, no. The the, the plunge and turnout, uh, uh, Donald Trump's numbers are basically around Mitt Romney's numbers. Yep. Her numbers were John Kerry's numbers. Yep. And if I remember correctly, our overall population is between 30 and 40 million more people in that time. So that's terrible. But I want to get back to uh, your uh, pathetic attempts to climb onto the Donald Trump train now that he's won. I hear your bandwagon Stephen Hayes sneaking on the back. But I have had people say, so what, are you going to continue to uh, oppose Donald Trump? Well, are you? Look, this again, this isn't complicated. When Donald Trump does good things uh, when 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 he follows through on his campaign promises, the ones that that I agree with him on. I'm going to praise him for it. I mean, if if he actually leads with repealing Obamacare, which I mm-hmm. think he should, I, I'm on board. It's great. It's good good for him to do it. Uh, he should be supported when he does it. Um, if on the other hand he engages in name calling with you know his Democratic <laughs> opponents or Republicans right. who are insufficiently supportive of, Don- of Donald Trump, I'm going to criticize him. If he says. The kind of stuff that he said throughout the campaign that was, you know, offensive mm-hmm. or foolish. I'm going to criticize him. It's the the funny thing is, I mean, I don't know. Maybe this comes with with being on Fox and, and working at the Weekly Standard, but the number of people who who take time to try to divine what you're doing, right? I'm not complicated. It's not complicated. <laughs> Nobody at the Weekly Standard is complicated. Right. We tell you what we see. We tell mm-hmm. you what we think. Sometimes people will agree with us. Sometimes people won't. But it's important that we say the things that we believe. That's in a sense, that's why we exist. You know, you're having the conversation about politics that I have with my wife about men all the time. Baby, we're not that complicated. We are. <laughs> we really are the simple. It's just looks like you can't be that. We are. We are that simple <laughs> and that transparent. Um, the What is the lesson that you think people should take from this election? And I, I have two groups. One is the political class and there are there is a political class i'm sorry they they really exist just like the media which has been devastated the, the the media will never be the same as they were before this election they'll never have the level of trust in a generation that they had if they had before they are just gone the new york times is, is a such a sad joke even nbc and abc are making fun of the new york times with their did you see the headline women and children hurt yeah. I mean, they yeah. literally said Democrats, college yeah. kids and foreigners upset by that was their headline for right. the biggest shock ever. So 
what, what lessons should the political class take from this? And then what specific lessons should Donald Trump and the Republican Congress that's going to work with him take from this election? Boy, um, big, big questions. I mean, on the media, I, I'm I'm working on a, a much longer uh, look at this, and I've been working on it since before the election. And it didn't actually matter who the winner was. There are so many, <laughs> exactly, there are so many lessons I think for the media to learn. Um, there, there has been and remains this huge double standard in how the media covers these things, and. I think you and I talked about this before. You know, the media, the New York Times, to use your example, uh, created a new rule where they were going to call politicians liars if they said things that were demonstrably untrue and that that the Times writers believed were said on purpose. And they did this with Donald Trump and they did it repeatedly. They haven't done it with Barack Obama. I mean, the, the president of the United States, since the Times initiated its policy, since it had headlines calling Donald Trump right. a liar, Barack Obama has said things that are demonstrably untrue, indisputably false. He said, for instance, none of the things that Republicans predicted about Obamacare were true. <laughs> like 30 of the things that Republicans <laughs> said are true. So the president of the United States, in that instance, sure. told a lie. Mm-hmm. There was no headline the next day. The New York Times didn't build a story around mm-hmm. the fact that the president of the United States had just lied. They didn't even note it in an article reporting right. on this. That's the double standard. Right. And there are, you know, there are countless examples mm-hmm. of that. So I think that if, if the Times and other sort of mainstream media organizations don't, don't get that – and recognize their own biases that way. I do think I don't yet. I, I disagree with you in one respect. I don't think we're there. I don't think mm-hmm. we're at the point where they're totally regarded as not. You credible. don't. I don't. No. Look, the New York Times today, as we sit here, has some of the world's very best journalists. Mm-hmm. Some of them cover politics. Some of them right. cover the intelligence community. Some of them right. cover national security. The problem with the Times is those people, the world's very best journalists, are commingled on the front page. With total hacks. Exactly. I mean, there are people who write for the New York Times, mm-hmm. write on the front page of the New York Times, mm-hmm. whose whose writing and reporting would be much more appropriately found in the nation. Might have actually be too far left for the nation. <laughs> and th- th- you, those stories are on the front page mm-hmm. alongside people like Alex Burns and Jonathan Martin and Eric Schmidt and Tom Shanker covering national security, right. Mark Mazzetti covering intelligence. I mean, th- th- the latter group, these are the best in the world. The former group, they're hacks. And if you can't find them, just go through John Podesta's emails and you'll see their <laughs> names right there. But And that's what they say, this decommingling problem. It's like saying, our scientists are the best scientists. Yeah, they're the Nazi scientists. Yeah, but in the yeah. Nazi scientists are some of the best. But I want to back to the political class and, and the Republicans, what to take away from this election. And so I'll start to give you time to think for a second. I think what Republicans should take away from this election is people still hate you. You got fewer popular votes. This is now, yet again, another election cycle where a non-incumbent Republican failed to get a majority of the popular vote. The last Republican who was a non-incumbent to get the popular vote was Ronald Reagan in 1980. Right. We haven't done it since. People still hate you. And so start with that premise that you've got to woo them. You've got to bring people over. So no, don't do Newt Gingrich cleats high. You know, we're going to go in after right to work on every highway bill we pass. Do smart door opening things as you work over the long game of four to eight years to try your agenda. Don't think for a second that this was a wave or a mandate. Everybody hates everybody. So try, try if you don't acknowledge that first thing, you will walk into the kind of hubris that made everybody hate Barack Obama. And think about how beloved he was when he was elected. Yeah. So that's so, so so I agree with your general takeaway, but I totally disagree with the way that you're applying what we should learn okay. from that. 
everybody hates everybody. That's mm-hmm. obvious. Um, I I would argue that. Um, well, I mean, if you if you look at the last six elections, go back to two thousand six. Mm-hmm. Five of the six of them have been change elections. Right. Two thousand six, two thousand eight, two thousand ten, two thousand fourteen, and certainly this time. And the way that we wrote about it in the editorial this week is, the first four were. You know, change elections, and this time they said we really meant it. <laughs> you, you didn't listen to us before. Exactly. We really meant. It. We weren't right. kidding, right? right. We, we we really meant it. So I told. I th- think you're absolutely right that the lesson is everybody hates everybody. But the worst possible thing the Trump White House and Republicans in Congress could do right now, in my view, is look for sort of incremental ways to win approval mm-hmm. and to go in to sort of back in right. to the, the first 100 days. Presidents presidents get very little time to accomplish what they need to accomplish. I think what people are looking across the ideological mm-hmm. spectrum, what people are looking for is results. What they've seen from President Obama, they saw some change. I mean, he, he brought mm-hmm. some change. I would say it was change in the same direction. It was bigger government. It was right. more spending. It was less accountability. But what they're looking for now is actual real change, some accountability. Sure. That's why I would have Donald mm-hmm. Trump lead with Obamacare. It's horribly unpopular. There's no question that if he does that, the media will oppose it. I mean, the reporting, mm-hmm. the, just the, the reporting, the supposedly straight reporting will be all about how people have, right. are losing insurance, despite the fact that on the front end, it really wasn't much about how people were <laughs> exactly. losing insurance because of Obamacare. <laughs> but if he goes in, and this is mm-hmm. my concern, and his top priority is Nancy Pelosi's top priority, which is a right. big infrastructure spending bill. Trump loves infrastructure. Sure. He's not opposed to spending. Mm-hmm. You know, he thinks this is a way to build right. bridges. He's going to be praised up and down by the New York Times and others if he does this. If that's the way he starts mm-hmm. things off, I think that it is a downward spiral. He should go big and he should go mm-hmm. bold and he should, you know, use Republicans in Congress. He he may not listen to me at this what? point. He might not. I don't agree. I think every <laughs> there, day the there are reasons standard. that Donald Trump would turn to other people no, other no. than Steve Hayes no, and the no, Weekly no, Standard no, for no, advice no. on these things. I, I've, I'm, we're, I'm self-aware enough to understand that. But if you were to call, mm-hmm. that's what I would tell him. And see, what I would say to merge the two is I think the smart thing to do is both, to go straight after Obamacare because it's unpopular. And in other words, I'm concerned about the kind of – in the past, you've had Republicans win and say, OK, now we're going to go pick a, you know, a, a culture war fight yeah. that will you know, burn up a lot of energy and who cares – you know, Obamacare is wildly unpopular. It's only getting more unpopular. It's not working. It's relatively easy to fix in the policy sense. It doesn't. You know, the the, the people know what to do. They know how to, you know, to 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 fix it so that your health care is once again yours. And people need help. You help them get something like private insurance and get the government out of the regulation, which we know that. And then simultaneously, yeah, look, he's he's made a promise to these you know people who work in the trades that something's going to happen. Is it going to cost money? Is it going to be full of government waste? Of course it is. But, hey, we didn't elect von Mises. You know, we we didn't elect Hayek. We elected Donald Trump. So slap your pork down on the table and take all the political benefit that you get from that pork while simultaneously doing smart things, like you said, to get results. That might be a good good political strategy. I think it's I think the 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 infrastructure side of that thing. I mean, look, we have we have to spend more on infrastructure. I think Mm -hmm. virtually nobody disputes that. The enthusiasm with which we spend on infrastructure, we, we probably would disagree. My biggest concern about Trump and and the, the you know the so-called white working class, the, right. the people who work in trades who elected him, to whom he's promised so much, is that he's made promises he cannot keep. Right. That's that's the concern. That's it was one politician. of the, it that's is every it, it is. But in this particular instance, it's 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 
more problematic than usual because what we're seeing is this dislocation based on a, a change in the kind of economy that we have. Right. And he would go to these towns that are sort of mm-hmm. down on their luck and make promises about a, a renaissance of American manufacturing. Mm-hmm. That is just not coming. It's not coming. It's not going to happen. Well, no, no. The steel mills are opening next week, aren't they? It's not they happening. And this is, the this shipyard is, in Philly, aren't they? It's only been closed for 30, 40 years. I'd say yeah. just give a couple weeks to sweep I up mean, and the mop longer up. Term, the longer what? term concern is that is that exactly the kind of disaffection mm-hmm. that you saw, particularly in those groups that he was right. appealing to, as a result of what we've seen from Washington, will be even more pronounced when it becomes clearer and clearer that Donald Trump can't deliver on those goods. He can't. He might have. He might have meant well when right. he said it. I mean, I have no doubt that he has empathy for for the people right, he was sure. appealing to, but it's not going to happen. And that I think that's a big problem. So I would, you know, one way that he can have some effect. I mean, I do think if you were able to repeal. Obamacare, replace right. Obamacare, allow people to, to go back to the doctors that they had, mm-hmm. maybe recreate sure. the plans that they had, <laughs> save them some money. That would be doing them a, a big favor right there. Right. And, it, and it, you know, it has an ideological component to it, but I think it's just much more realistic. Uh, but that's, uh, like I said, the, because Obamacare is unpopular, that's a smart place to go. And yes, so that's totally agree. what I'm, I'm hoping will happen. But who knows? We'll see. One last thing. Uh, I look up at my TV here at the palatial offices of the Weekly Standard, and it's Barack Obama sitting next to Donald Trump in the Oval Office, shaking hands. Yeah. And in my brain, I understand. You know, I'm. I get. I read the papers, but part of me is going, "Alert! Alert! Yeah. Adjust your meds. Something's wrong. You've picked up a signal from the alternate universe." I don't. I was. This is. I, this is so unimaginable. I still don't get it. You know what I mean? I, yeah. I look at the picture. I look at the image. I see the words and I go, there is no way that it is president-elect yeah. Donald Trump. There's no way. Look, I mean, I, I, th- I think he feels that way. <laughs> as you would. As you would. I mean, the funny thing about Trump, I mean, one of the ways that in, in which we criticized him was for being as arrogant or mm-hmm. narcissistic as he is. And there's no doubt that he's that. He's demonstrated it virtually every time he opened his mouth throughout the campaign. Having said that, it did seem to hit him. Um when he was giving his speech on election night at three in the morning. Mm-hmm. And I was told a story about uh, the way that that speech came together. It was drafted by his aides, of course. And there was a fair amount in the original draft of tough language uh, really? about his opponents, both on the Republican side and on the Democratic mm-hmm. side, sort of um, f- spitting fire at mm-hmm. the establishment. I mean, something along um, the lines of, we won, get over it? Yeah, sort of like, sort so of like, like a, what Barack certain, Obama A certain said. current yeah. president who's going to be a former president? But also appealing to his sort of Breitbartian instincts, right? Sure, right? Sure. And Trump saw this, according to the, the two people I talked to about this, and said... That's not the speech I can give tonight. I am now the president-elect of the United mm-hmm. States of America. And meanwhile, he's watching the, the, the Dow futures sure. plunge and right. is nervous about it and says, I am the president-elect of the United States of America. That has to come out. Now, that could be apocryphal. Sure. I, mean, I believe the people who told it mm-hmm. to me. Um, if it's true, it gives us some reason for cautious optimism. Mm-hmm. As I said before, Donald Trump is the same guy that he was throughout the campaign. Mm-hmm. There was a reason that those of us mm-hmm. who weren't enthusiastic about him weren't enthusiastic about him. But if he did that, if he said that, it's a good start. 
and it's a good finish for this podcast, A Note of Hope. I'll let you get back to standing in line. Remember, bring your own soap with you to the camp. That's a key part, Stephen Hayes. I just wait till they bring, let me go to the canteen. Bring your own <laughs> soap. of the day. You've been listening to the Weekly Standard Podcast. Please be sure to check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. Also, subscribe to us at iTunes.com. It's absolutely free, and you'll never miss another podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham.